This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So a couple of things really quickly. This is a, kind of a small note, but it has an interesting little bit of trivia attached to it. Corey Conacher uh, signed a PTO with the Belleville Senators of the AHL today. He's been playing last three seasons in Switzerland. Corey Conacher, who uh, back in 2013, when he was playing with Tampa, scored his first career NHL goal against the Washington Capitals. Braden Holtby was the netminder that night for the Washington Capitals. Tampa wins. I think it was a 6-3 to three win. Um, scores it against Braden Holtby. So he named his dog. You guessed it. Holtby. All this wonderful, useless information. Speaking of which, let's bring on Elliot uh, from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. How are you? How are you today, Frage? How'd you like that one, naming his dog you know, Holtby? Well, it was, a, it was a good introduction, with it, including a nice shot at me. I like that. I have to tell you, too, yeah. that... Yeah. When we did a big uh, piece on Conacher for uh, Hockey Night, uh, I think it was still CBC yep. at the time. And right after that, he went into a huge slump. And Healy was merciless, like just merciless about it. He uh, yeah. he actually would say to people, why would you do a piece with Elliot? Look at the slump Corey Conacher's in. It was, you know, it was uh, a real fun stretch at Hockey Night with Glenn Healy. So it was the was that the uh, became the uh, the Elliot Friedman curse then? Don't yes. talk to him or uh, or the, all the all, all of a sudden the puck has corners on it when it's on your blade. I think he talked about it on the air too. Like it was just ridiculous. <laughs> well, listen, I talked about Tage Thompson off the top, and what a spectacular night for him. And I sort of ran down everything going back to, you know, the Ryan O'Reilly trade, and he was a struggling right winger, popped at center last year, the Hail Mary pass. It's it's remarkable. Um, six, first of all, before we get to the contract and what that means for other players around the NHL, just your thoughts on Tage Thompson last night. Like, I, I thought the, the assist on Jack Quinn's goal was the best play he made all night. He's got Dylan Larkin all over him, and he somehow mm-hmm. shrugs off one of the best players, one of the best centers in the NHL and gets a beautiful pass to Jack Quinn. Your thoughts on what we saw last night from Tage Thompson of the Swords? Well, I, I think the the funny thing, Jeff, to me about it, the, the whole Buffalo situation is they were kind of an expected goal uh, calamity the first couple games, even though they were winning. And you talked about yeah. on the pod that you had someone sending you a note saying this is unsustainable. <laughs> yes. Well, I think they the had 59% of the, the expected goalies, yeah. goals the other night, and they're winning against <laughs> Chicago, and they were like 65 yeah. last night. So Buffalo is answering yep. that question. Um you know, yep. I, I, look, I thought they were great. I thought Thompson was fantastic. And uh, it was a gamble, no question. Um, and, and, you know, the Thompson contract, the other thing, too, is that people forget is that, you know, he he's a little older. So it, 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 yep. Buffalo was looking at this like the gamble was with him is that he was he's close to unrestricted free agency before he signed this deal. He had another year, mm-hmm. and then they basically were going to have to make a decision. Either we commit to him or we lose him. And they decided to make the commitment now. And the one thing I always say is, when it comes to the Sabres and Thompson, nobody knows them better than they do. They are best equipped to make the gamble one way or the other because nobody knows Tage Thompson better than the Sabres. They've seen him day-to-day for years now. They know his habits. They know his commitment level or if he's not committed enough. 
they and they've seen firsthand, you know, what he's done to get from point A to where he is now. So the fact that they made that gamble, I think, like, I, I do think, I've never spoken to the Sabres about this, so I admit I'm talking about this at 30,000 feet. But I had heard that the Keith Kachuk, or not the Keith Kachuk, the Matthew Kachuk situation really played big on their minds. That Matthew Kachuk got to a year away from unrestricted free agency, and he told the Calgary Flames, look, I'm not signing here long term. I'm just telling you now, and the Flames did what they had to do. I think if you're Buffalo, you looked at that. Tage Thompson was, was about to be in the same situation. And I think they looked at it and knew if Matthew Kachuk could do that, why couldn't Tage Thompson do that? And they took care of business now. And the other thing, too, is, is that, you know, one of their big analytic hires was Sam Ventura out of Pittsburgh. Someone pointed to me, if you look at Ventura's recommendations, there's a lot of players who signed for term. John Marino who's now in Jersey and playing in Vancouver tonight, um, is one of them. Uh, James Thompson is another one of them. Like, that's kind of his way, right? That's kind of what he recommends. And so mm-hmm. it looks like they're reaping the rewards. You know, I, I wonder if it was on someone like Sam Ventura's recommendation to give Eric Comrie the second year where there were offers from other NHL teams, but I believe, Elliot, correct me if I'm wrong, that they were only of the one-year variety. Buffalo I might believe that's true. was willing to offer to, that they were the only ones to offer to. Okay, so always fun to play the game of if this, then that. So the Tage Thompson deal, and you know, I made a scribble down a, a quick little list here. I'm sure I've left out a number of names, which Twitter will remind me of. The seven-year, $50 million contract. So that will now be used by other players, uh, impending free agents, either unrestricted, either unrestricted or restricted. Now there are restricted free agents that have high QOs like Alex DeBrinkett and Timo Meyer. I'll exclude them. But the ones that I think about here, and I might, might want to say the same thing about Matthew Barzell as well and his deal. Uh, let me know what you think of this list. This is, this is top of mind list. And I'm sure I've left a few out. There's Bohorvat and Dylan Larkin of the UFA variety. And then we go to the restricteds with Pierre-Luc Dubois, Jesper Bratt, Rupe yep. Hins, Jesse Pugliarvi, Philip Heedle, Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras from Anaheim, yep. Shane Pinto in Ottawa, and yep. Alexi Lafreniere with the Rangers. And Alexi Lafreniere with the Rangers. Yep. Do you, am I leaving anyone out here, or is that a is that a thorough list? Anyone come I, to your I, mind? Not, not off the top of my head, Jeff. That seems to be a pretty thorough list. Um, you know, I, I think I think one thing that's going to be a factor here is does the cap go up the bigger amount or not? You know, do we get the one million dollar raise or do we get the four million dollar raise? That's going to be a big question here for me. And that's why I think you can see, like, teams want the commissioner to be right, obviously. The players want the commissioner to be right, obviously. But there are some people saying, you know what, until we know for sure, we're not doing it. So uh, I, I think that that's a good list. I just wonder about how many of these decisions are going to be in the world. 
Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of cap going up, I want to get to the uh, this piece we read this morning on on Sportico with uh, uh, Kurt Badenhausen on NHL valuations and revenue and yep. you know, franchise value, etc. Um, average franchise, a couple of notes here. If you haven't read it, uh, Sportico, uh, Elliot and I both have, have retweeted this thing. Um, the average franchise value, average franchise worth in the NHL, now at $1.01 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Leafs leading the way at number one at $2.12 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting, the, the one that I, I think a lot of people are going to gravitate towards right away the NHL generated $6.1 billion in 2122, and we think of the escrow debt, and to your point, wiping that out and having the salary cap go up as quickly as it does, or as quickly as we hope it will. Uh, what did you make of the Sportico piece this morning? Well, I always, I'm always interested in those pieces. I, I think they're really interesting reads and guidelines. Um, you know, Sportico, actually, I, I think people should read the article. Because the article's got some really interesting tidbits and points to it that uh, I thought were were really good. Um, you know, first of all, the HRR I think was what five point four, and the article points out yeah. that you know some of that money is things that the hockey the players don't share in, like concerts and things like that in in their buildings. So either. Either it's that, or we just they, they just got caught red red handed underreporting HRR. But I'll go with A, you know, uh, Jeff. But uh, so <laughs> I think that the six point one billion figure is not solely uh, a, a, the HRR figure is five point four. Now um, they're obviously expecting a, a bigger number this year. They're obviously very excited about where they're going. Um, you know, the one thing I always say to myself is is that franchises are worth what someone's willing to pay it these are good guesstimations but they should be seen as guesstimations and you know the one situation that people are talking about today is ottawa which i guess they put at 665 and say that the team will be sold as the next team for sale now i think that's probably true uh i thought that for some time right now but i think that number is low and the reason i think that number is low is this one of the things that you and I have talked about is that if the Senators are to be sold, they're not going to be sold until everything's tied up. You know, if you're the no. NHL, why are you going to sell them before you know about the downtown arena? Why are you going to sell them when there's still these lawsuits that are tied in the previous attempt at the downtown arena with Eugene Melnick? Like, I don't like I do think the Ottawa Senators will be on the market at some time. And, you know, you are one of the guys who always asks about it, and the league is very sensitive about it because I think the family is very sensitive about it. But they're not going to sell them yep. until they've got the downtown arena locked up and the lawsuits are settled. And in that case, I would tend to agree that the number is going to be higher than 665. You know, speaking of that, not necessarily or specifically Ottawa, but just franchise value in general, one of the things that I found interesting, a really interesting point by David Blitzer, who we all know in hockey from the New Jersey Devils, although he has a a stake in in, uh, franchises and other sports as well, his point being a lot of franchise value right now, because to your point, it's only worth whatever someone will pay for it. You know, we're seeing more billionaires than ever, and Blitzer's point is, the demand is big for uh, for sports franchises, but the supply of teams is low. 
and we can certainly think about that with uh, with organize with um, uh, with leagues like the National Hockey League. I thought that was interesting. A lot of people want to get into play, but in the NHL, there's only 32 of these things, comma so far. So far, and generally, I think sports teams have been a good investment. Not always. Uh, but I think generally they've been a good investment. The other thing I think here, too, and this is one thing that, like, th- this is stuff that I think the average fan, I'm not sure they're really interested in, but the business people sure are. And that is, you know, the fact that yeah. you can buy in now, uh, like, uh, these corporations or these um, uh, wealth management firms can buy in on, on minority shares right now. That's a big deal because they're yeah. buying in at really big numbers. And, you know, that that's mm-hmm. a... That's a little cash kick in for your team. You know, you can sell, what is it? I can't remember off the top of my head, 10 to 20%. And they're usually valued at a really high stake. So that's good cash for the, yeah. for the owners. So that's a big thing too. Like that's, that's one of the things when Bettman changed the rules last year at the board of governors, I had a few people reach out to me and say, you know, you focus on the, you watch the puck. So you don't focus on the business side as much, but that's a pretty significant thing. You know, one of the, uh, and we'll, we'll get off the uh, the Sportico piece here uh, after this one. One of the things that you look for is, uh, okay, so what's setting up for a fight? You know, what is setting up for an NHL, NHL, PA fight? And I keep circling back to Arizona for one very specific reason. And that is, in that state, you can own a sports book if you own uh, a professional sports uh, property or professional sports organization. The question that I have, and maybe you know the answer, maybe you've heard the answer to this one, I haven't, is let's take this thing down the road. The Tempe deal gets done. I know I'm blue skying this thing, but yeah. and the Arizona Coyotes are, are locked in and they have the new rink and ownership gets their sports book, which is, as we all know, can be a real cash cow. Considering that is contingent on them owning the Arizona Coyotes and that ownership is tied to the rink, as we all know, could the PA make a case, or should the PA make a case? Have they already thought about making a case that part of that sport book revenue should go into HRR? Well, I'm sure they will try. I mean, I, I would try. I'm not. I mean, you should you should make any argument you can want to make. I mean, uh, I'm generally pro uh, pro player, and I think the players should try to get as much of a piece as everything anything they could. And if I was them, I would make that argument. I'm just not sure you can win it. Like, you know, like one of the things that I remember when this whole thing outside MLSE was built with the square and the real sports and everything. Like I remember very, uh, some of the players felt and some of the agents felt, wait a sec, that's happening on leaf night. Should that be part of HRR? Should the players get a, a share of that? And I'm like, I would argue, yeah, you could make a case for it for sure. And you should probably ask for it. It just doesn't mean you're going to get it, and you probably won't. Yeah, I remember one person telling me quite bluntly that the players should get a piece of that. They said, well, why? And they said, look, it's called Maple Leaf Square, not Raptors Square. And it's called that for a reason, because it's the hockey team that's driving this thing. I thought that was an interesting point. Um, Uh Uh-oh, William Liu, Stephen LeBron, don't kill him. (laughs) Um, St. Louis Blues uh, drop a tough one to the LA Kings by the way as an aside Gabe Velarde now has 8 goals 
boom, yeah, just absolutely stuff. popping for the Los Angeles Kings. Um, Doug Armstrong, we'll, we'll talk to the media today, GM of the St. Louis Blues. You know, you had mentioned last week on the podcast you were concerned about the St. Louis Blues, and I'll be honest, I shrugged you off and just said, yeah, whatever, they'll be fine. Uh, they've now lost five in a row, and <laughs> the general manager is uh, is meeting with the media. And, you know, listen, we saw Tori Krug leave the game yesterday as well. They're already down Scott Perunovic. Uh, I just mentioned yeah. Ryan O'Reilly and what's happened uh, with him so far this season. What's that decision going to be? Where is Elliot Friedman at on the St. Louis Blues now? Because I'm starting to move an inch towards you of St. Louis has some problems right now. You know, I, I really... I'm going to try not to overreact for a change. So I, that's the kind of the way I look at it. But what I do think is that, you know, when you think Doug Armstrong and, and you look at the teams he's been around uh, and the team that won a Stanley Cup is they were a skilled team, but they were a tough team. You know, you had to fight for every inch of ice uh, to get anywhere against them. Uh, win or lose, they they went down playing hard. And... I, I think the same thing for Craig Berube. Everybody knows what kind of Craig Berube player Craig Berube was, and everybody knows the way he coaches. Like, if you give him the effort, he doesn't have a problem. If you, if you don't give him the effort, he's got a problem. But you can't be, you can't be pushed around. And, you know, I, I think the thing about the Blues right now is they're a team in transition. They're transitioning from... You know, in, in a lot of ways, you know, the Petrangelo O'Reilly era, even though obviously he's still there, to the uh, Kairou Thomas era. And that's going to be a different brand of hockey that the Blues play. Like, this is nothing against, you know, Thomas and Kairou because they're great players, but the, the, they're not going to play the same way that those other Blues did. And, you know, you take a look at it like Barbashev, who was a Sunquist, is a really good death player for them. He's gone. Yep. Barbashev, who's a really good depth player for them, you know, he's he's a UFA this year, and it's going to be a challenge for them. Um, O'Reilly, you've already mm-hmm. talked about. The other thing, too, is, Jeff, their defense, it was like a thicket. It was, it was hard to get through. And they're just not as big or as imposing as they were. And, and I think they're just they're a bit of an – I watch them, and I see a bit of an identity change. And I, I just don't think it's always easy to manage. I, I don't know if it fits the the uh, identity that they had. You know, it's it's funny, too, because last week uh, someone there said to me, uh, I liked it better when we reminded teams of the Calgary Flames. Like they had that edge and that snarl. The skill was always there. Um, mm-hmm. But... They had that that dirt under the fingernails. You know, I, I kind of look at, you know, there's there's one thing about St. Louis, and again, I don't want to make everything about Petrangelo going to Vegas, but here I go. You know, there's yeah. two teams in the NHL, and I'm sure there are more, but there's two teams that jump to mind right away as, you know, teams that had to profoundly change who they were when they lost their number one defenseman. And mm-hmm. one of them is the Winnipeg Jets, who I still don't believe have recovered from Dustin Bufflin leaving uh, and ending his career. And the other is the St. Louis Blues. And the Blues, when Petrangelo you know, couldn't get the no trade that he wanted, ended up going to the, to the Vegas Golden Knights. I know they brought in a lot of other defensemen to try to do some of the things that Petrangelo did, tried to do it collectively. But it hasn't been the same. I, that's, I see a sort of symmetry there between Buffalo and Petrangelo really affecting their team, forcing both of them eventually to transition into something new. 
Well, I, I completely agree with you on Bufflin. I, I, I think you're totally right about that. I would add another name to your list, and that's Shea Weber. Like, you, you know, you're, like, what you're doing is you're naming people who, when they stepped on the ice, everybody knew they were there. Everybody yeah. knew they were there. Now, Petrangelo wasn't as mean as those other two guys were, but he was definitely a presence. Like, there's, there, there's no question about that. And I, I'm with you, Jeff. I think that, um, you know, this is not the game it was in the 80s where there were 10 guys on each team with 300 penalty minutes. But this is still a game where to win, you have to be tough and, and mentally and physically, and you have to intimidate either with your skill or with your power. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going through a – I think you said it best. Like, going back to the 1960s, the Blues were always one of the league's toughest teams. They were the reason the Flyers, yes. as we knew them, were born. And uh, yep. I, I think right now it's a, it's a bit of an identity change for them. It's weird seeing that logo not having some toughness behind it. I'm not saying it's better or worse. All I'm saying is it's different. Uh, all right, we'll let you get on with your day. Uh, you be well, and we'll chat tomorrow, Fridge. All right, Merrick. Take care, buddy.